Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jonathan. I'll take that with you. Thanks. Hey, well, we are in uh, week number four. Uh, of our series entitled Live Like Jesus. And uh, if we're going to live like Jesus, you might recall, we need to live a life of prayer. And that's what we talked about the first week. Uh, the second week is live a life of compassion. Uh, last week was live a life of humility. And this morning, we want to talk about living a life of purpose. If we're going to live like Jesus, we're called to live a life of purpose. Lori and I were um, in the light rail that goes between um, San Francisco and Palo Alto. It was several years ago, we were traveling to watch uh, USC play Stanford. And that was back in the days when USC used to beat Stanford, okay? And uh, we were on the train, <clears throat> light rail, and there was a lady that was seated in front of us, and I don't know how the conversation began, but we got to be talking, and um, somehow she asked us if we were from the Bay Area. We said, well, no, we're from Sacramento, but originally we grew up in Southern California. And she said, well, where did you grow up? In Southern California. And uh, I said, oh, I grew up in Arcadia. I went to Arcadia High School uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. And she goes, Arcadia High School? She goes, that's where my oncologist went to high school. And I said, oh, really? Well, who is your oncologist? And she goes, well, she kind of, you know, got puffed up. And it's like, you could tell she was really proud of her oncologist. She said, my oncologist is a renowned cancer specialist, Dr. Stan Schinke. And I look up, Stan Schinke. I thought for a second, and I go, you know, that is absolutely no surprise. Because I remember Stan. Stan uh, was not the most athletic guy, wasn't the most popular guy. Uh, when uh, the weekends came and kids were doing things that they did on weekends, uh, Stan was home or in the library studying. Uh, during summer vacation, when we were just going to the beach and having a great time, uh, Stan, was a part of a program where uh, gifted high school students uh, would go to the university and be a part of doing cancer research. 
in high school, all right? Stan, from a very early age, was focused. He had a sense of who he was, who he wanted to be, and what he wanted to be about. And so here, I'm on this light rail, going to a football game, and I'm hearing the rest of the story about Stan Shinky. Now, when I think about Stan, I think about myself at that same time, right? I didn't have any of that focus. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, when he was in the library, I was in the gym lifting weights. When he was doing cancer research, uh, I was strutting Santa Monica Beach, right? Having just worked out, right? I remember that, guys? Yeah, you remember, don't you? It's, uh, was it tries for the guys and curls for the girls? I think that's what it was back in the day, okay? Uh, when it came time to go to college, I did what uh, a lot of football players do that were in school to play football and really didn't know what they were gonna do afterwards. That what do you want to major in? I said, uh, communications, <laughs> right? Don't all athletes who don't know what they want to major in, major in communications. Uh, but little did I know that that was a really hard major, okay? I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, I just thought you'd get up and make a speech or something. Um, but it was much, much more than that. Uh, I remember the first quarter uh, we were analyzing ancient literature, Aristotle, Plato, Cicero. We were doing rhetorical theory and analysis. We were breaking down speeches and ancient writings and, and, and trying to, to drive what they meant and what they intended. And, and then there was the public speaking aspect of it. In fact, a lot of you don't know this. I'm just going to share with you. I just stumbled my way in to a communications major. Um, I got into something called forensics. And it's, uh, you competed, like there was debate, there was impromptu speaking, extemporaneous speaking, uh, all kinds of original oratory, uh, dramatic interpretation, all these kind of things. And so I said, why not, I'll do that. I got into impromptu speaking and that's where uh, they give you a topic, it's like a, or, or an expression or a proverb or something. And then you leave the room for three minutes, you have to come back and give a five minute talk. Okay, like that. Well, I was the Western States champion in impromptu speaking. Now, how does all this fit? I didn't know where I was going, but God did, okay? Later on, when I went to seminary, what did I do? I studied ancient literature. I, I looked at it, I, I learned how to take it apart and, and, and try to understand what the author's intent was and what the application is now and all those things that I kind of stumbled my way into with a major I didn't know what else to do. God knew and God was preparing me. God was preparing me for the mystery box, <laughs> right? All those competitions, all those times that I competed in impromptu and extemporaneous speaking. I never knew that I'd be standing on the stage with little Tyler Shaw someday, okay? But you see, God knew, God knew. Now, not all of us uh, were like Stan, Dr. Shinky, okay? Uh, not all of us knew from the beginning what we were gonna do, focus, where we were going, and, and, and God bless him, Stan has a wonderful medical practice today. I, I hope to meet him at a reunion sometime and just congratulate him. Um, 
Some of us seem to just kind of stumble our way into where we were. But you know what? I don't think so. I don't think so. Today we're going to talk about purpose. We're going to talk about purpose. Um, Rick Warren, author of The Purpose Driven Life, says this. He says, you were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. Focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. The greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without purpose. Life without purpose. Knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. Knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. Now let me establish something here. I alluded to it with Pastor Tyler when we were doing the mystery box. That we were created by God and for God. The person you are, your temperament, your personality, uh, the gifts that you have, your passions, all of those things are not an accident. Okay? That when God created you and me, he had a purpose in mind. Now, some of us grab a hold of that a little bit earlier in life than others. Some of us kind of stumble into it, or seemingly so, uh, as did I. But all through my life, all my life experiences, my education, God was at work, all right? Because he had a purpose and plan for my life. And the same is true for you. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to live life on purpose. That we are called, okay? We are called by God, our Heavenly Father, who, through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, has forgiven us from our sins and given us new life and eternal life that we're called to the highest purpose that anyone could have. And that is to be God's ambassadors, his representatives in the world. And so God wants to take you, you, yes, you, right? With all your uniqueness, with, with, with all your life experience. And he takes that and he transforms it and he shapes it and he sets you loose into the world to live purposely for him, okay? Now, an important thing as we think about that is our identity. See, purpose flows from our identity, knowing who we are and then whose we are. We sang a song this morning about what? Being a child of God. Do you realize what, what that means? That, that we are his sons and his daughters. That that we comprise the body of Christ, that his church, made up of the members of his body, are his representatives in the world. That every single one of us, whether it's on the, the playground or uh, it's at the workplace, uh, whether it's in the neighborhood or with the family, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has called you to be his man or his woman 
and that place and that time. To be alert and to be aware and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to what he's doing around you. And then he invites us to live intentionally, to live on purpose for him into whatever it is that we see or discern or guided by the Spirit that's going on around us. Paul says this in Ephesians 1.11. This is from the message uh, from the late Eugene Peterson. Uh, he just passed recently, a prolific author, uh, a pastor's pastor. And this is what uh, he writes, kind of paraphrasing what Paul had to say. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Um, David in Psalm 139 says this, uh, your eyes saw my unformed body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, Paul also goes on to say in Ephesians that he created good works beforehand. He's prepared them for us that we should walk in them. Okay? If we're going to live like Jesus, we have to live a life of purpose. Now, our passage today in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the synagogue, and it's on the Sabbath, and he is handed a scroll to read. It's Isaiah. And as he's handed Isaiah, he goes to the scroll and looks to the point where Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, that is a messianic prophecy, okay? Let me read it again. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Uh, normally, the person that would be handed the scroll and that would read the scroll uh, was uh, a rabbi or uh, a guest teacher, what often, a person of honor. And if they would read, then they would sit down and then they would give a message of some kind, okay? And so here he sits down um, and everyone's eyes are fastened on him, and in verse 21, he says, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus, certain of his identity, certain of his purpose, okay, was proclaiming, you know the one that this scripture speaks about? Well, I am him, and today this has been fulfilled through my reading this. Now, later on, just a, a couple chapters later, 
in Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist is arrested. And uh, while he's in prison, he sends messengers to Jesus. And they ask him, or John has them ask, uh, beginning in verse 22. So he replied a message, well, excuse me, um, verse 20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Okay, are you the one who's to come? Remember, John was the one who prepared the way. He was a voice crying out in the wilderness. He was the one who practiced a baptism under repentance to make way for the one whose baptism would be unto salvation. Okay? Uh, but, but here in prison, uh, awaiting death, he, he sends messengers to Jesus. He says, now, are, are you really the one? You're, you're the one, right? And this is what Jesus says. At that time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The death here, the dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Okay. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. All right. And so here we are just a, a couple chapters later in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been doing the very thing that Isaiah 61 says the Messiah the anointed one, the promised one of God will do, okay? And he's telling John, yes, I am the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. Jesus was confident in his identity. He was sure of his purpose. Uh, John Chapter 6, verse 38. I just want to go through some verses in which Jesus really identifies uh, throughout Scripture who he is and what he's about. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of he, of, he, of the one who sent me. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Mark 10.45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay? Was Jesus sure about his identity? Did Jesus know his purpose? Right? Check this out. 1 John 3.8. John writes this. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. He appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. 
okay, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what I want you to do is take your Bibles or electronic device and I just want you to go back a little bit into chapter 4 beginning in verse 1, okay? We know that that was Jesus having been baptized then goes into the wilderness for a 40-day fast and prayer, okay? His ministry is being launched. He goes into the wilderness. He's going to spend time fasting and praying. Now, as we look at uh, the story of Jesus in the wilderness, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Okay? So he goes, he's fasting, he's praying. At the end of that time, right, he's feeling great hunger. Then the devil said to him, now I want you to, I want you to pick up on this. If you are the son of God, Tell this stone to become bread, Jesus answered. It is written, people do not live on bread alone. Where did the devil attack him? Well, of course he was hungry. But he didn't say, if you're hungry, do this. He said what? If you're the son of God. The devil went right after his identity right after his identity. Because if the devil could confuse Jesus about his identity or get him to act in a way that was inconsistent with who he was, his identity, right? Then everything else is the rest of his mission is, is what? Nullified. The devil knew that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so what does the devil try to do in the very beginning? He attacks Jesus' identity to try to derail Jesus' mission to destroy the devil. Now look, he goes on. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Okay. Now, if, if Jesus wasn't certain of, of his identity, he, he'd be pretty tempted, wouldn't he? Because the book of Colossians, Paul writes, all things are made by him and for him. And he holds all things together. So it's like, really? I already have that authority. All those things already belong to me. And yet, if he wasn't certain about who he was, about his identity, about his purpose, he could have easily been led astray. Now check this out. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay? Then verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. What's he say again? 
if you are the son of God. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for here, for it is written. Now, isn't it interesting? When Jesus responded to the devil with scripture, now what does the devil do? He tries to twist the scripture. By the way, he's still doing that today, isn't he? For it is written, he said, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, uh, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now it's interesting that each of the responses that Jesus gives comes from the book of Deuteronomy during the time of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. And so, you know, they wandered for 40 years. He is fasting for 40 days. But when the devil comes to him, Jesus responds with the word of God from the book of Deuteronomy, the word of God that came during the time of the wilderness wandering. And here he is in the wilderness. But he's certain of who he is and whose he is. And he responds with the word of God now. How was Jesus prepared for this? Well, let's just go back in chapter 1 of the book of Luke. Okay? Chapter 1 in the book of Luke, when the angel comes to Mary and, and tells her that, that she's with child in verse 34 of chapter 1, how can this be, Mary answered. She asked the angel, for I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. All right? Then if we go to Luke chapter 2, when the angel talks to the shepherds, he says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that today for, all the uh, for you all the people, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When Jesus opened up the sacred scroll, Isaiah 61, who was he saying he was? The very same person that the angels told the shepherds, the Messiah, okay? Turn over. In Luke chapter two, verse 49, Jesus wanders off, his parents are searching for him Verse, they ask you, where have you been? We've been searching for you. Verse 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, Did you, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Okay. So, so do you see this sense of identity and purpose that's been developed from the very beginning in, in Jesus' life? informing who he is and what he's going to be about, and, and he knows that, and that guides him, and, and, and that allows him to stay, to stay true to his mission. Then look at this. Luke chapter 3. You think Luke wants us to know something about Jesus, don't you? Verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, 
And a voice came from heaven. Now listen. A voice came from heaven. You are my what? Son. Whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. All right, turn it right over. Ah, here we are. Luke chapter 4, Jesus tested in the wilderness. God just got done telling, God the Father telling Jesus the Son, you are my son, right? When he was a little boy, he was, he was going off away from his parents to, to be in the temple. And they say, well, where were you? Don't you know we were looking for you? He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Father-son relationship. And yet despite all that, what is it that the devil attacked? His identity. Who he was. Because if he could do that, then he could prevent Jesus from living for that which God intended, his purpose. All right? Hmm. Ironically, after this incident at the temple, the crowd wants to, to run him out of town and actually throw him off a cliff, okay? But, but he gets away, and he continues to do his ministry. And in Luke 4... Verse 34, after he delivers a demon-possessed man of an evil spirit, he cried out, it says, at the top of his voice, this is 434, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God, so that even the demons... Know who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Now, what's that have to do with you and me? That we have a certain identity and we have a sure purpose. But guess what? Our enemy, the devil, wants to distract us, wants to entice us, wants us to lead us astray, to keep us from living fully into our identity. If anyone be in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. Behold, the old is past. All things are becoming new. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. Our identity is in Christ. And with that identity, we have a new purpose to live with him, for him, in the world, to continue his mission, to be a part of his mission in the world. That's our purpose. When we get up in the morning, you are ambassadors. You have a holy purpose that God ordained beforehand, that you and I would walk in it. But the devil wants to do what? He wants to distract us. He wants to keep us from living into our identity. He wants us to question 
Really? Am I really a son or daughter of God? Am I a child of God? Really? Really? Is that true? Have I really been given a new identity? Am I really a new creation in Christ Jesus? Really? Is that true? And he wants us to second guess because if he can attack our identity and get us to question that, then we can never fully live into our purpose. 1 John 2.16 says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride of our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now check this out. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it or that you can stand up to it. And what is the way out? How can we stand up to it? How can we be certain in our identity and fulfill the purpose for which God created us? Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. That word tempted there means either tempted, like being tempted from the devil, or tested. Okay? Because sometimes God allows us to be tested. And that test is to build us up and strengthen us. That, that word there can be used in, in either way. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Therefore, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm telling you that when those times come, when we're being tempted, okay, James writes, draw near to God, draw near to Jesus, the one who was tempted in every way that we were, yet was without sin. He knows what it's like. He understands. Draw near to him, James writes, and the devil will flee from you. Okay? The devil can tempt us, but he can't make us do anything that we don't determine that we want to do. And so it's during those times when we are called to draw near, to draw near, to be sure, to be certain of who we are, whose we are, to live a life of purpose, a life that God has planned for us. Why? Well, Jesus says it in John 20, 21. Uh, after his resurrection, and he appears to his disciples, he says this, as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We're his ambassadors. We're called 
to join him in his mission in the world. You were created by God for God. And until you understand that, nothing else in life makes sense. Live, live intentionally on purpose for the one who created you, called you out, chose you, saved you for himself. Live in the fullness of the identity of who you are, child of God. Hold on, stand fast in your identity, who you are, who you belong to, and live a life of purpose. Amen. Pastor Tyler.